Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. On the tee from Australia, Adam Scott. There it is, Adam Scott. Expect anything different? Brilliant. What an up and down that was. In your life have you seen anything like that? Welcome to the clubhouse. Hey, g'day everyone, welcome to the clubhouse. Great to have your company right around Australia as we talk all things golf. Plenty happening too in the world of golf, particularly with Australia's number one ranked player in the world, Jason Day. We'll get to that a little bit later on, but Mark Allen is here. Marco, welcome to you. Good to see you, Jules. A uh, bit happening in the world of golf. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit floating around, which is good fun. And uh, a nice little break in the FedEx Cup, which... You know, the players were against that break at the start. I reckon, I reckon uh, the break freshens now. everybody <laughs> up. And the BMW that's on at the moment, uh, well, it's it's a very important cog in the way to that Tour Championship. Top 30. Yep. It's the grand final of golf. Um, and hopefully love we're going to have a few Australians running around. Love it. It's a great. I love the, t- I love the whole format. It's sensational. It's, uh, it's just brilliant. Absolutely. Now couple of things we're going to get to today. Michael Cocking is going to join us. You chatted to him during the week. Yeah, we did. We've spoken to him a couple of times, actually, Michael Cocking. Um, and the last time he was doing a little thing at uh, Shady Oaks, the short course at Shady Oaks. And the short course is now finished. And the acclaim that it's held in is incredible by the by the members there. So we'll have a chat to him. You know what he is? He's our up-and-coming Tom Doak. <laughs> and perhaps one day after they finish up at Peninsula, now... There'll be a lot of people listening to this who've never heard of Peninsula Country Club. Yes. Once Peninsula Country Club, it's called Peninsula Kingswood these days, once that's finished, Michael Cocking and Ogilvy, Clayton, Mike Clayton, Cocking and Mead, yep. OCCM, they will go to a whole new level. Yeah. Yeah, this kid's he's talented. Kid. Yeah, well, I say kid. Michael Cocking won a Vic Amateur years ago, and I reckon he's 40 years old now, okay. or maybe 45, there something like that. But. Yep. As far as you know, in, in in this landscape where you are designing courses and refinishing courses and giving other ones a facelift, then yeah, he's a, he's a kid. And you know what we're going to do as well, Marco. You're well, going to have a look at some of the courses you think in this country, some of the big name courses, high profile. Yeah, you think might need just a little bit of a facelift. Jeez. We got it. Yeah, all right. Yep. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Just have a look at some and go, you know what? This Might course need needs a, a facelift. Might just need a little bit needs of a a freshen Tom, up. A Tom Doke about it. Yeah, or Michael Cocking. That's Mike, right. We need to see we need to send down OCCM and let them just give a little facelift to some of them. Because That's it. look look, Peninsula, Peninsula Kingswood, this this will go from you know, basically being probably a top twenty course in, in the country mm-hmm. up to probably a top three. Yeah. Just from the facelift. Now, they've got the money. They sold off Kingswood Golf Club, which a lot of people would have played. They sold that off. I think they ended up something getting close to $100 bucks. So they've got the cash to do the facelift properly. But what it's going to do for that area, Frankston, yeah. 
I tell you what, if you're going to be retiring down, if you're planning on retiring down that way on the Mornington Peninsula, not bad. This is the golf course you want to be a member of mm-hmm. uh, in that retirement. It's yeah. going to be beautiful. Very nice. Very nice. All right, now a bit of news kicking around, Marco. Jason Day, Australia's number one ranked player, has stood down. Mm. Long-time mentor and coach, Colin Swatton, from his caddy. Right, so he's not going to caddy for him anymore. Yes. I reckon it's a great decision. Yeah, you think so? Uh, oh, I do. I couldn't imagine my coach carrying the bag. I mean, at the start, yeah, because he was a real father figure to Jason. Yeah. Jason lost his dad a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Colin Swatton took over that role, really, very much a father figure. But to have your father figure coaching you, caddying you, caddying for you, traveling with you, yeah. I mean, you'd get Always sick. Always in your ear. You'd get sick of dad, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> you would get sick of dad. Now, I think that Jason's golf is a little bit stale. Yeah. Now, don't take that the wrong way. Okay. A lot of people's golf gets stale. A lot of tennis players get stale. A lot of footballers get stale. Cricketers get stale. Yep. Sometimes the freshen up with the caddy. We saw Rory McIlroy do this as well. Mm-hmm. When he got rid of J.P. Morgan, was it? Is that the guy's yeah, name? Yeah, and uh, Phil Mickelson's done the same thing recently Bones, yeah. as well. It's 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 not a bad it's not a bad idea. So Colin Swatton's going to stay on as coach. He also coaches a few boys on the U.S. tour, and they like him as a coach. You know, keeps things simple. Mm-hmm. You can see, you know, when Jason was playing, his best golf looked simple. Yep. Uh, so I think it's a good decision. He's dropped to number nine in the world. Yeah. Recently. Yeah, he needs he's, he's he needs too a good. win. He's too good to be number nine in the yeah. world, isn't he? Yeah. Way too good. Way. So way too look, good. the freshen up might work. Now, I don't know who he's got in mind to carry the bag, but it's got to be someone good enough to caddy for him in majors. Yep. Because I did read where Colin might come back for the majors. Well, they've, now, they've mentioned here on PGATour.com, yeah. uh, Swanton will remain as Day's coach while friend Luke Reardon has been given the bag friend. this week at the BMW Championship. Okay. Just this week, yeah. Um, where he'll attempt to win his first tournament since back in 2016. Right. Day will use Reardon and another friend and former PGA Tour player, David Lutteris, for the rest of 2017. David Lutteris, right, yeah. yeah, that's okay. Lutteris... Uh, I don't mind him if David Luteris wants to get on the bag and, and start caddying. Sometimes an ex-PGA Tour player who never made it, they understand the game quite well. And he, you know, I think David mm-hmm. Luteris, he might have won a either, he either won or came second in a very big event uh, on our tour, which might have been a web.com, and probably got him over there and was playing reasonably mm-hmm. well. But he didn't make the jump. You know, he's, there's another guy who needed a better pathway. Yes. Luteris needed a pathway, not to America, to somewhere not as big yeah. as America. Yep. Uh, gee, don't get me started there, mate, because I could go off. But anyway. <laughs> Hang on. We might come back to that. Might come back to that. What What I'm talking about there with the caddy, I hate it when friends, you know, a friend every once in a while, no worries. Mm-hmm. But you've got to pick a caddy who's capable and you're confident of caddying for you in the majors as well. Yeah, you can't. You, you can't a, just go back to Cole you in need the a, majors. But you need a caddy, Marco, who can say to Jason Day, "Hey, don't play that crap shot that you played yeah. recently." <laughs> yeah, well, th- that's where David Luteris. Yeah, uh, he he has the golf credibility to say, "Hey, Jace, don't try and draw this around eighteen no, no, trees. No, 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 just, just chip it out. Chip it out. Yeah. You're the best wedge player going around. You're playing your wedges unreal. Yeah, just chip this one out. Hit it wedge close. Let's make that putt." And then we'll play the back nine, four on the power, yeah, or whatever. Yep. Yep. But you've got to have somebody strong enough on the bag. Friends aren't that person. Yep. They're friends. Mm. You know, but they, they get in the way sometimes, friends. But it is very important for Jason to have a caddy who, one, does an unbelievable job. You've got to have a great caddy. Mm-hmm. 
So one, he's got to be a great caddy, and two, someone he's really confident taking with him to the majors. Mm. Yeah, you know, so it's a nice little thing. You know, I've been, you know, what's happening with Adam Scott at the moment? First, I know that, you know, when when we talk about Stevie Williams, it's probably a different a different story because he's the greatest caddy ever. No one's won more tournaments than Steve Williams as a caddy. Nobody mm-hmm. in the whole world. So it might be a little bit different to have Steve Williams come on in the majors, but still, it's a slap in the face for the other guy. You want, you know, you want your team to be constant, to be constant yep. and happy. Yep, I agree. Anyway, Jason well, Day said, "I never wanted it to turn into a toxic relationship where he's taken, um, where he's taken me from where I was as a twelve-year-old kid to where I am today, and I'm not talking to him anymore. I was worried if I kept it going the way it was going to head, I love him yeah. too much uh, and to not have him in my life. Because Beautiful, especially so uh, fantastic. Yeah, very, very good. And you know, I tell you what, if." I mean, he used the term toxic. <laughs> if if it was just below toxic, jeez, maybe that's that. Maybe that is the reason. Yeah, he's he's fallen off the perch a little bit. So let's freshen this relationship up. Um, I'll see every once in a while as my coach. Yeah, you know, and the big ones come and come and say hello. And let's have a look. Get me roaring. Get me raring to go on the driving range without having to worry about you know f- scrubbing my grips and yep. making sure all the dirt's out of the grooves. Have a look at the way I'm swinging. Give us a few nice words. Then off we go to battle. Makes it much, yeah. much more sense to me. He's best man at his wedding. Oh, <laughs> no, no. That's it. It's too much, isn't it? Yeah. Best man at the wedding. Mm. Coach. Father figure. Caddy. Confidant. Yep. <sighs> drinking drinking partner. Probably. <laughs> too much. <laughs> it's too much. Get away. Yep. David Luteris, hey? Now, well, That's you, a blast from the past. Um, you just dropped a little mini bomb there. You're not happy with the pathways. Is that right? What are you what were you just talking about there? The Australian golf path net The Australian pathways yeah. don't exist. What do you mean? Well you tell me the pathway these days. Well, What's the in, pathway as from in how you make it across what is to a, the What is the pathway from going from a, playing regularly in the tier two events? To getting to the European or the US tour. So you're talking about playing things like the Vic Open. Or the Asian tour. There's no pathway. Yeah. If you win the Australian Open Mm -hmm. and you're nowhere on the world scene, you don't get anything. To where we just saw a kid win in Fiji, it's a European tour event, Mm -hmm. and he goes straight to the European tour for a couple of years. Yeah. But when I was young, and this is the, the most important thing to remember here, is that we live in Australia, which is a million miles away, mm. figuratively speaking, that's right, <laughs> from the US and Europe. Yep, my we don't we don't live anywhere near it. So when I turned pro in 1990, there was 23 events, big whoop. All right, yep. that doesn't matter. You know, the, the the landscape has changed, but the pathway was there. So in 1992 and 93, that summer, I made enough money on uh, the Australian circuit to where I was number 13, mm-hmm. which is no big deal. But no one's jumping up and down for no. that. But guess what? What it did that got, get you? It got, me to the, it got me to the second stage in Europe. And so what does that mean? What do you mean second well, there's stage? Well, back, back in those days, there was three stages. You had to get mm-hmm. through the first stage, second stage, and then the final stage of the US and the European Tour School. Yep. Finishing 13th got me to, like, it's a massive jump, mm-hmm. a head start. But guess what happened? Paul Maloney got his European tour card and pulled out. Right. So I went from second stage of the European tour to last stage of the US tour. The US tour. Mm. So I played well enough in the Australian events 
to where it got me a pathway to the US tour. Now, if you get to the US tour or the European tour final stage, if you miss out on one of those cards that was on offer, and I think there was, I think there might have been twenty five cards on offer when I when I went through in nineteen ninety four, then I got a web dot com mm. card. Now I was an idiot because I should have gone to Europe, <laughs> and I know better now, mm. and I should have got gone to the European tour stage, second stage. I should have done that and got through and got to the last stage of both. Because what happened to me was I missed my big card, so I had to pack up and move overseas. Now, I was only playing back in those days the Hogan Tour, I think it was called. There were only $200,000 events, mm. and the government was taking 30% out of my checks. <laughs> so I was actually I was the only bloke in the field playing for 140000 bucks <laughs> a week. I had... Uh, Let's see. I played in 11 events, and I think I had five top 10 or might have finished 11th once in those events, and I ran out of cash. Mm. You know, the Australian peso wasn't any good. But those set-up tours, they're designed for people who live in the area. Yeah. So, for instance, you know, the, the secondary tour in Europe and the, the secondary tour in America, there's a bunch of them in America, you go up and play, you play for experience, and you try and get through on their pathways to get to the top. But if you fail, you just go home and live with mum and dad for a little while. You're 22 years old. You reboot. You yep. try and get some money up no again. No cost. No cost at all. But if you fail as an Australian, <laughs> you got to come all the way back home. Yeah. And then guess That's what? That's not a cheap flight. Or when you get back home, you know the, the pathway's not really there anymore. Mm. It certainly was, like I said, back in the early 90s, because you could reboot on the Australian tour, try and get back into the top 10 again on the on the order of merit, and then. The pathways opened up for you. Last mm. stage of European tour, last stage of the US tour. These days, there's not. And when you look at the US tour right now, there's three blokes who could go from Australia to the US tour, and one of them kind of cheated because he went to the uh, he, he went to um, UNLV, University of Las Vegas, Adam Scott, and went from playing nowhere to US <laughs> tour. Those names are Jason Day, Adam Scott, and Mark, Mark Leishman. Leishman. So. The pathway from being an Australian kid to playing on the US tour is the biggest jump you could ever imagine. Mm. Because you, you look at someone like Ryan Ruffles. Yeah. Now, Ryan Ruffles is a gun. Mm -hmm. I think he's the world number two. I think he's the world under 18 champion where he won the world junior. So he went with all these starts, didn't get the money required. Two years in a row, didn't get the money. Now he's playing in South America. Mm trying to find a pathway onto the US tour. So the jump is enormous, absolutely huge. But the pathway that I bang up, you know, we've got 17 Tier 2 events. Tier 2 events, I'm talking about Vic Opens, West Australian PGAs, New South Wales Opens, Queensland PGA, Northern Territory that we've just seen. They need to be part of a pathway. At the moment, they are nothing. Mm. There is no pathway. So this is what I've been saying for a long time. One day people will listen. <laughs> One day self-interest will get out of the way and this will be done. 17 events, tier two. They compromise an order of merit. When you finish in the, let's say, I'm throwing out a number, the top 30 of that order of merit, then there should be four or five or six European tour events lined up. So the tour schools won't work anymore. This will be the best pathway. You finish in the top 30, you get to play in six European events in a row. If we can get one or two 
winners mm-hmm. on those European tour events, just one or two, yep. who aren't already European tour players, then in 10 years' time, we should have something like 20 European tour players. Yes. Because there's a pathway other than going from playing in your local amateur events, playing for Australia in amateur events, to try and make it all the way to the, yeah. the US tour. Tough. It's too hard, mate. Yeah. It's too hard. Unless you've got freakish ability like those three players. Like those three, like about. Leishman, yeah. Adam Scott, and Jason Day. Mm-hmm. Because Ryan Ruffles had freakish ability. Nick Flanagan had freakish ability. David Luderus had freakish ability. And guess what they all tried to do? Yep. They shot for the stars and they couldn't quite make it. That's why, folks, I'm going to say, I'm going to keep on saying it until it happens. We need a pathway onto the European tour, a jump that is possible, and a jump where a lot of tournaments are played very close to our backyard in Asia, mm-hmm. in South Africa, yep. and hopefully we get five or six in a row in our backyard, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji. That'd be great. That would be great. Yep. And before you know it, Bang. we start winning those events. We start watching these guys on TV on a Sunday night or a Thursday night, like we do anyway, and the pathways open up. And then we've got players everywhere. Yep. Good rant. That'll do. Good rant. I like it. Now, I'm going to start talking to people from the big organ. I think I'm actually going to have have to have have a coffee. I'm going to have to start having a coffee with a lot of the people involved (laughs) because we've just got to get self-interest out of the way. How good was it, um, speaking of players on the European tour, seeing, oh, it wasn't good, but poor old Scotty Hend. At a, at a crack. Yeah, second year in a row. Yeah, second year in a row. Uh, but he lost the playoff. It's so good to see an Aussie doing well over there. And well, here, here's you know. a great example, mm. Jules. Scotty Hend, years ago, if he went from Australia to try and make it on the US tour, he's broke, lost of confidence, and gone. Instead, he went to Asia. The Asian tournaments that he started to win were on the European tour. Now. He's a European Tour star. Mm. He, I think, he went from ninety-eight to seventy something mm-hmm. on the in the world order of merit. But if he went from a kid to try and go from where he was to America, he's lost like David Luteris yep. or Nick Flanagan because he wasn't that good. And to be honest with you, even three years ago, if he tried to get on the US tour, he probably wasn't good enough. Now we see him as a bona fide top one hundred player in the world who wins and loses in playoffs regularly Mm. on the European tour. (laughs) So then he's got the confidence, but most importantly, Jules, the bank balance that come from Australia to maybe go into the US tour. Because without that bank balance, without the ability to buy a house, to to do things right in America, then you're going to do things wrong Mm. in America. And if you start doing things wrong in America when you're trying to play in America, you're behind the eight ball. Yep, you're no chance. You're gone. Yep. It's very important. Pathways are very important. And we, in a, in this country, we have lost our way. Lost our way. We've lost our way as far as the pathways and the right way to getting more players as European superstars. Marco's come off the long run. Got to get to a break. Taking up most of the show. It happens every week. But I like it. I like it. Sorry. I apologise. It's good. No, passion. Passion. We want to see more players on the big tours. Yeah, we do. We We do. But, you know, the only way we can do that is to have pathways Mm -hmm. onto the big tours. A break. Plenty more Clubhouse still to come. Stick around. In your life, 
have you seen anything like that? You're listening to The Clubhouse. Welcome back. It is The Clubhouse. Great to have your company right across Australia. If you want to podcast the show, just search for The Clubhouse Golf Show on iTunes. You can download the podcast each and every week. Now, Marco, the Aussie Tom Doak you've yes. dubbed him. The Aussie Tom Doak. Michael Cocking. That's now, it. he's a big part of Ogilvy. We know that name. Mm-hmm. Clayton, Mike Clayton, yes. Cocking and Mead, uh, a big part of that. And since he's really taken over the reins as the, the key guy who not only shapes the land but also designs the golf course, uh, OCC and M have just gone to a whole new level. In fact, they got the rights to Shady Oaks. Many people mightn't have heard about Shady Oaks. It's a very famous course in America because Ben Hogan used to do his practice there. Now, where Ben Hogan used to do his practice, it used to just be this big field, and there was a big oak tree. He used to practice under this oak tree. I think it was an oak tree. But it was basically just a big paddock. Yeah. Uh, Shady Oaks ended up turning that into a bit of a short course, just putting a few greens there. And then they were asked to have a look at the short course. So Ogilvy Cocking, Clayton and me, went over there, redeveloped the short course, the Shady Oaks people, it's one of those elite clubs too, only mm. 200 members and you know, 150,000 to join yeah. and blah, 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 all, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> they loved the short course so much and the work they did it on the short course, just the paddock, they got them to do the whole lot, facelift <laughs> the whole Shady Oaks golf course. So they've done that. They're doing Peninsula Kingswood. Um, and they're also doing the 19th hole at uh, Kingston Heath Golf Club. So yeah. they're well and truly on their way, but I got him on to have a chat about the short course and why it's so important to developing kids and membership um, and certainly making the members happy at Shady Oaks. So let's have a listen. I wanted to talk about the short course at Shady Oaks. Why do you think, Michael, why do you think it's, be- it's so successful and the members are loving it so much? Uh, Christian, um, I mean, it started out as, it was sort of famous, I guess, because like you said, it was where Hogan used to practice and it was just a big field, really. I think 10 hectares and it just had nine pretty simple greens. So you could play it as a loop, but, you know, it was kind of a bit of a quasi um, driving range, really. And we, I mean, it's funny, in the last 20 years, probably, um, I think practice facilities have changed a bit. Um, You know, when we were kids, a couple of nets and a practice putting green was kind of standard, I guess. Yeah. And, um, you know, now you're seeing the same sort of effort going to design of practice facilities as the courses themselves. And there's been a few sort of short courses and cross-country courses built. When we saw, saw this area, we just kind of saw, saw the potential of it. So um, we built nine greens that were similar to what you would find on the course. Um big scattering of bunkers so you could play it as a as a nine hole loop but it's more interesting when you play it as, as cross country golf so there's bunkers that aren't really apparently in play as par threes but if you you know if you're just playing with your friends you kind of pick whichever green you want to go to and play it basically from every from anywhere you want and then you get to that green and you go again so there's holes up to I don't know, 400 yards really even even two oh. par fives you can play on the area wow so it's um it's a really interesting area and and they've, they've really taken to it. So some days they play it as a formal nine-hole course. Some days they play it as cross-country golf. Other times, if it's quiet, they just use it as a practice facility. So it's kind of the ultimate. So it's almost the ultimate space, I think, other than, you know, a formal golf course. And tell me, um, Cox, it must be hard for you to figure out how you're going to 
approach it. I've, I've always been interested in, um, you know, for instance, you guys did the practice facility at Victoria Golf Club. Um, yep. you, another one that's fascinated me is the practice facility at Augusta. Um, yeah. always, I've always wondered how people approach the practice facility. What is the aim of the designer? Is it to get ready to go out on the golf course? Is it the best place for a player to hit the most amount of different types of shots? What is your what is your goal when you're designing a, a practice area? Well, yeah, I mean, it's really to try and, I think, stimulate the golfer into wanting to practice. Mm. So, I mean, Augusta did it really well where there's kind of two wings and they're both fairway width. One goes left, one goes right. So you can kind of practice a draw shot down one fairway, a fade down the other. They're like remedies, aren't they? They are. And then there's, um, I don't know, three or four greens with, with the same same sorts of greens with wings on them so you can kind of hit cut shots or draw shots. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's big open fields. They're, they're just not that interesting to practice on, you know, when you're out there for two or three hours. So if you can simulate the sort of shots you get on a golf course... Just a much more interesting way to practice. Um, it, yeah, sorry. It, it, it's funny you say that because I, I'm at the point now. I, I said before that I brought Kelly here tonight to X Golf Mintone, and I bring him here on Thursday nights, mm-hmm. and he, he can hit golf balls into the screen for an hour and yeah, and have fun. You know, I'll take him down to the range. Yeah, and we last ten minutes, and then it's time to get a bucket of chips and a, and a hot chocolate <laughs> yeah. or something. But he's at that point now where what you're saying is true. I mean, I wish my course had the short course yeah. like this other place does, because I know he's he's dying to get out and play some form of golf. But at eight years old, he's still just I can't see him on the first tee, Kingston Heath, and get go and play three holes. Yeah. It just wouldn't work. So I, I imagine, Michael, and correct me if I'm wrong, I imagine you've seen lots of mums and dads and grandparents taking their kids out in the short course as well and, and introducing them to the game for not just 10 minutes but for maybe an hour and then coming back to the clubhouse. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, they're great places for kids to learn how to play the game because you've got you to hit proper shots still. They're not just kind of hit and deal. You know, you, you still have to fly the ball correctly and you've got to play proper bunker shots and um, proper chips and proper pitches. Um, great for, for people that are getting on in age that find a bit course, you know, a bit too tiring. I mean, the, the bigger issue, I think, is that more... I mean, we did the course at, at Hillsville for RACV, which is 5,000 metres long. I mean, it would be great to see more courses of that length. Yeah. You know, pr- proper courses, because unfortunately, every time a club gets to do a, a new course, they all want to sort of shoot for the stars and go for a 6,500 metre tournament course but you know I mean how many tournaments are there like I mean yeah not many you never, you never see on brief, um, just make it fun you know make it 5,000 metres long make it enjoyable um, so yeah I mean there's definitely a place in the game for more kind of shorter courses whether it's three and four hole courses nine hole courses or even 18 hole courses there is Marco on Chasing Birdies during the week. So yeah. thank you for that audio. No, absolute pleasure. Uh, former Victorian amateur champ as well. Uh, so he could play. Could play. I think he won the club championship at Kingston Heath not long ago as well. So he <laughs> can play still. Um, but more importantly, he's inspiring people to yep. play golf. Michael Cocking there and uh, a great young course designer. You as betcha. You said. The Aussie Tom Doak. Now, facelifts. what we're going to get next, Righto. speaking of course design facelift changes, I want you... To take yep. a look, some of Australia's I'll give you the top five. best courses that I know of. Five facelifts required. That desperately need a facelift. All right. Done. That's coming up next. Stick around the clubhouse. In your life, 
Have you seen anything like that? You're listening to The Clubhouse. You certainly are. We're back right around Australia talking all things golf. My name's Julian Bayard. Mark Allen is in the studio as well. And Marco, we set you the challenge um, to have a bit of a look at mm. some of the big, biggest and best courses in Australia yep. that perhaps just might need a little bit of a face. Need a, a face. A little bit of work. Some work. A little bit of plastic surgery. And doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean ripping the joint up no, either. No, no. Just a little touch-up yep. to make things better. Okay, so well, you've come up with a list of five courses. Yeah, I do. But can I just start with... Oh, a couple there of honorable are, mentions. There are three <laughs> golf courses that have you know, jumped us okay. and, and have already got in there and given their golf courses facelift. So Peninsula Kingswood, yes. and like I said before, uh, Michael Cocking's doing that one and Ogilvy, Clayton and Mead. Um, it was probably a top 20, both courses, top 20, top 30 in, in the country. Mm-hmm. They'll go from top 30, from what I've seen, to in both in the top five. Nice. Top 10, for, guaranteed both in the top 10. Royal Sydney, mm. where they played last year's Australian Open Golf. Gil Hans has been employed to redo the whole joint. Not just have a look at the um, greens and tees and fairways. We're talking about totally new, new routing. Right. That piece of property and that club, I think Royal Sydney is probably the best club in the country. Mm-hmm. I really do. If they get that, and I reckon Gil will because he's a genius. If Gil gets it right, that'll go to a whole new stratosphere. My top five is going to have about 10 clubs in it. Mm-hmm. So well done to Royal Sydney. And the other one, the National, has got Tom Doak Ooh, to have yeah. a look at the ocean course. The National's got four courses these days. They've got the three on site and they've got yeah, Long, Long Island, Island as, well. as well. The ocean course is the fourth best course. Yeah, no one wants to play it. No, no, one, <laughs> no one really wants to play the ocean course. You go down course. there and they go, oh, you're on ocean. They go, oh. I, I think Tom Doak... <laughs> His genius yeah. could possibly take the ocean course from number four mm. to number one. Ooh, nice. And come down to the National Old and the Mooner mm. at the National. They're two fantastic courses. If he can do that, then he's nice. the genius that we all think he is. All right. So, number one. And I haven't been there for a long time, but people I know have played it recently. Royal Adelaide. Royal Adelaide. Royal Adelaide is an unbelievable golf course and one that you must play at some stage. It is sensational. But just needs a little tidy up around the edges mm. to keep it where it is. And I'm talking about you know, Kingston Heath, for instance. All they're doing now is looking after the rough. That's what that's where they're at, to make the rough the same pretty much everywhere. So they're onto it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I left them off the list. They're, they're ahead of the game, Kingston Heath. They're fantastic. Royal Adelaide. They need to get in that vein. They need to fix their rough. Make it playable, yet wispy, and have that rough, beautiful rough, framing the holes to keep it in the esteem that it needs to be in this country. Otherwise, other golf courses are going to go past it, folks. Don't touch the layout. It's sensational. There might be little bits and pieces, but Royal Adelaide needs to work on what frames each hole, and I'm talking about the rough. They've gone to extremes. They've just got to make it perfect, It'll be sensational. So that's my number five. Victoria Golf Course. Mm-hmm. It's a big name course down mm-hmm. here on the sand belt. The Greens need to tidy up. Something's happened. I think it's in the works. I might have jumped the gun here. Mm-hmm. I think they are planning on redoing it. But also, they need to fix up their rough. Right. Their rough is big just on rough. too thick. Fi- oh, well, it frames golf holes. Yep. You have every, apart from Augusta and some of the beautiful American courses that are just you know, too pristine to tell. Every beautiful photo that you ever sent, the rough looks sensational. The rough frames a beautiful fairway and green setup. Yep. 
Victoria Golf Club could have that, but it doesn't. So if they get their greens right, because they've been right for a while, if Victoria Golf Club can get their greens right, and if they can get their rough correct, then that'll go to a whole new stratosphere as well. The stratosphere that it belongs in. So I think those two. So there's there's uh, number five, number four. Number three, Yarra Yarra. Yeah. Too many trees planted over the years. I, I play Yarra Yarra a bit. I've seen it lately. Too many trees. Too many trees. Too many trees. They need to <laughs> do a bit of a facelift of what is, again, framing their golf course. Do the trees, then the rough. Mm-hmm. That is the process because the fairways, and it's, it's an Elsa McKenzie golf course. There's probably a couple of holes here and there that need a little bit of a tidy up. But again, Yarra Yarra deserves to be in the upper echelon of golf in this country. And from what I've seen, there's been some overplanting there, planting of some really ugly trees that need to be fixed. Some trees planted way too close to the fairways. You need room to play. Yeah. So that needs to be tidied up okay. as well because I love Yarra. Hmm. It's a great venue. The clubhouse is sensational, but that needs a little facelift with the vegetation. Huntingdale Golf Club. Ooh. My old course. Mm. My old course, I think most people understand it needs a bit of a facelift. It's headed in the right direction. And I think, from what I understand, the people who are on committee there, they understand it as well. So I've put number... What what does it need? What do you think? Again, what frames each hole. And there's probably a couple of greens there that were just just crazy. They need to be fixed up as well. They've fixed up some of the bunkers. But again, Huntingdale Golf Club, a bit like Yarra, for whatever reason... There are some committees in the past who overplanted. There are trees planted two steps off the fairways mm. at some of the holes at, at Huntingdale. That's not right. Go and have a look at all the great golf courses in the world. Where the fairway ends, normally there's 10, 15, 30 yards. Now, if you don't have the room and Huntingdale doesn't have the room, then clear up the trees and make it playable to get in and out. Because no one wants the five-hour round. No. no one wants to have to fix up and look after all the trees all the time. But Huntingdale needs, to, again, their facelift needs to be probably a little bit more than just the vegetation and the rough. Probably needs a few, uh, some of the greens fixed up as well. Mm-hmm. But Huntingdale should rightly be, with the history that it has in professional golf. That's right. Great history. It needs to be up there. Yep. So that needs a continued facelift. The, the, the committee know what they're doing, but they just need to make okay. it happen a little bit faster. And the number one. Now, Ooh. they've just done one hole at this golf club. It's <laughs> on the morning to Peninsula. And it has the potential to be something out of this world. Mornington Golf Club. Right. Not many people would have even played it. No. But the location where it sits, the land that it has, and just its you know the proximity to the Mornington town itself if Mornington, if, if somehow Mornington Golf Club <laughs> got the access to the money that Peninsula Kingswood did and they did a total facelift, it could be one of the superstars of Australian it's golf. It's in a good spot. And you, don't have to, you wouldn't have to fly to it. <laughs> you could actually just get in your car and drive down yep. because the location is stunning. They've just done a new par three there that, you know, you stand on the tee and you look back. You can see Melbourne yeah. over the bay. Yeah. Mornington, to me, is the one with the most potential of all the golf courses mentioned if they do it right. But unfortunately, that facelift might cost 20 mil, 10 mil. I don't know. I don't know how much it might cost. But if the right person gets a hold of Mornington, it could go to a whole new level. Yeah. 
redefine that golf course nice. by itself. Nice. Nice list, Marco. Right, Hopefully they're all listening. I hope so. Mm. I hope someone with 20 million can go down and touch up Mornington. <laughs> That'd be nice. Mornington, I'll tell you what, that sure could someone, be, sure that could be the one. someone who lives down there might have that sort of That mark. could be <laughs> the one. A break. Masterclass next. Masterclass is next, so Come don't on. go anywhere. Marco's Masterclass. Yeah, you get a free golf lesson from Mark Allen at the end of each and every show here on the Clubhouse. And we do it all for Club Mandalay Golf Course. Play golf for Club Mandalay. It's great golf in Melbourne's north. Play golf. Play Club Mandalay. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. Right, this is on the back of Scotty Hend. And we just mentioned before, he went from 98 to somewhere in the 70s in the uh, uh, the World Golf Rankings, which is a great effort from mm. finishing second and losing in the playoff um, last week. Scotty Hend's left-hand grip is so strong... It is ridiculous, <laughs> but it's not ridiculous to Scott Hent, it and it makes his game work. There've been other grips as as strong, Freddie Couples, Paul Azinger. These guys made their golf work as well, but you would never read about it or be taught that in in a driving range. Now, if you have tried absolutely everything, and you are still slicing the ball, or the, you know the fade is is too much, then your glove hand. Goes let let's go crazy with it. Mm. Let's get silly because the only all my time in coaching, club face angle was the biggest reason for a big slice. It was just crazy open a split second before actually making contact with the ball, and that can be because of everyone's skeletal makeup. Everyone's skeletal makeup is different. Mm. Scotty Hens is clearly clearly different. So is Fred Couples, and so is Paul Azinger. They had crazy strong grips. So I'm not talking about seeing two knuckles or three knuckles. I'm talking about seeing four knuckles with your glove hand. If you're slicing and you've done everything, let's get silly. Because when I look at Scott Hen's grip, his left hand grip, his glove hand grip, mm-hmm. it's madness <laughs> how strong it is. So if it can work for someone like Scott Hend and for someone like, you know, uh, Paul Azinger, someone like yep. Fred Couples, all these big names, there's no reason why it wouldn't work for you. It'll feel ridiculous. Change it up. It will feel stupid, but just see what happens to that slice because I guarantee the super crazy strong grip, (laughs) that'll change your club face angle and the club face angle is the number one why people slice the ball. That's worth a crack if you... Let's have a go. Got a crazy slice. What are you going to do? That's it. Slice it for the rest of your life? Yeah. If you're slicing it and you've got a normal grip, then what are you doing? Yeah. Fix that right up immediately. <laughs> but if you've been slicing it for a long time, go super crazy. Let's see what happens. All right. And and the bottom hand just it goes around, so the glove hand goes crazy. And if the glove hand's gone crazy, the bottom hand kind of follows it around the same way. Yep. Don't go the other way. It goes the same way. They both rotate around the same way. Beautiful. Have a crack. That's Marco's masterclass. All for Club Mandalay. Play golf for two people. Club Mandalay, including a motorized cart with a drink, only seventy nine bucks. Beautiful. Great value. Good on you, Jules. Marco. Hopefully everyone's listening. Pathways are fixed by next week. And we've no, got they five won't be new facelifts commissioned on golf courses around Australia. See you, buddy. We'll see you next week. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.